Welcome back, everybody. It's Andy coming to you live from Nashville. My buddy Mark is live from Hungerford, England. Hungerford, England. Doesn't sound quite as cool as Nashville, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, but as you were just telling me, you're just right down the pike from Downton Abbey. I am. Yeah, this 10, 15 minute driveway. Very nice. Oh, Very you, posh. You British. You British. You've got it made over there. We've got a little bit of history so, over here. So, Mark, today we're going to start our, our series where we're going to do a little bit of the history of Ian Fleming and Bond. Because uh, as I've, as people know, if you're watching the show, you pay attention to us. This is all new for me. I'm just starting this this crazy adventure. So, um, and I'm I'm fascinated. Uh, so we're going to go back. Three years old, you are, and you've never seen a Bond film. I still find that quite extraordinary. Well, I, I finally have seen, uh, I saw Dr. No, and I enjoyed it. And I have, as I was telling you earlier, I just finished the book of um, From Russia with Love, which uh, the book was fantastic. And I'll say this to anybody who's listening or paying attention and is like me, doesn't know anything about Ian Fleming. Uh, the man is a damn good writer. And uh, if you have not read his books, I, I urge you to pick up a book and read or do the audio book like i did i was doing it while i was driving back and forth to cincinnati they they say write what you know and bond is all about i've said this before bond is fleming's wartime exploits the people the characters the missions all the espionage and yeah, that's it's a very brief stroll through him and ian fleming's life we'll, we'll, we'll show you that yeah. well so let's get into the let's get right down to it mark let's talk about ian fleming himself what do you know what can you tell us about the man himself because i've started digging into his history and um it's fascinating he's born at the turn of the century when was it 1910 1908 1908 according 1908, to 1908 that's right and he's born into a quite a wealthy english family i think he was born in mayfair in london which is a very very top end part of london um his father was an mp member of parliament he was a member of parliament for henley which again yeah. is a very posh posh part of town so where is henley henley uh, is where is the it, boat show goes on it's, is it part of london part of london yeah it's very nice lots of water it's very 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 attractive place his dad was dad's name was valentine i can't remember his mum's name but he was an mp and then he was killed in the first world war and fleming yeah came from a very wealthy family with connections to a scottish banking company i think i think his grandfather was a scotsman called robert fleming and he had, he 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 yeah. was involved in banking, so there was a lot of family money involved. So then he goes. Uh, Fleming goes off to. Well, he he had a brother too, right? Yeah, he did. Uh, Peter, I think he became a, an author. And when yeah. Ian Fleming was trying to get Casino Royale published, I think his brother stepped in and helped him. Got us some contacts or something. So yeah, his, he, brother, yeah brother. his brother was an older brother, and he, had, from what I dug up, was like a a, a travel writer. Yeah, he he would write about his his adventures. That's right. Which Fleming did. How, how Fleming did, he get did a job little, like little that? bit of that later in life. He ended up working for um, Kensley newspapers, were owned by the Sunday Times. But that's later in his life. He ended. He went to prep school in Dorset, which is a nice part part of England, and then he ended up at Eton. And in James Bond's backstory, Bond went to Eton as well. So you can see it's all similarities between the between his life. And, yeah, and it's quite. I think um, I had a quick look this morning. Apparently, Ian Fleming's housemaster at Eton really didn't like him because of his <laughs> um, his his lifestyle, the women, the car, the, the hair oil, and his general <laughs> attitude. Apparently, he didn't like him. So wait, so uh, 
I've looked at pictures of Ian. Was he considered a relatively handsome man? He's a good-looking guy, yeah. Good-looking guy. And I'm looking at him right now. Flick back and his cigarette in a long holder. I think he used to smoke his cigarettes in a long sort of holder. Yes. Very sort of elegant. Which I was surprised Bond didn't pick up that. But now, uh, speaking of the smoking... Uh, well, Bond gets his cigarettes from the same... He had his ha- handmade cigarettes from Moreland's of Grosvenor Square or something like that. The yes, same I was... that Fleming gets his. So I was reading about that. So they he gets he would get his own um, blend, right, of tobacco, Balkan and Turkish tobacco, I believe, made by Morlands of Grosvenor Square. I think they're called. And Are they still around? Oh, they're still around. Yeah, they're still around. And I think he had because he was a commander. And again, it's the same thing with Bond. If you're in the Royal Navy, on the on your sleeves, on your uniform, if you're a commander, I think you've got three rings, and yeah. he's got three gold rings around these handmade cigarettes. I mean, what a life. He has custom-made cigarettes. Custom-made smokes. All the fine wine. All the beautiful women. Drives a Bentley. What's not to like? (laughs) God, I want to be Bond. Yeah, don't we all? And it said, you you probably can correct me, I was looking it up regarding the smoking, and we won't hover too much on that, but uh, Fleming smoked up to like 80 cigarettes a day. Is that Yeah, he was constantly chain-smoking. Constantly. That is an insane amount of cigarettes. Yeah, that's a lot of cigarettes. And this Turkish and Balkan tobacco, it's very strong. It's very strong. Have, have you ever partaken in the, uh, the in blend? Turkish or Balkan tobacco, Andrew? No, I'm d- denying that completely. It wasn't me. I wasn't there. You kind of like that um, American Indian blend you got? Yeah, in, that's uh, lovely stuff. That's like in a cardboard <laughs> box. We like that. What is that stuff you got here in town? American and you're like, spirit. this is this is awful. It was awful tobacco. Not just that I recommended it. smoking. You left it in my car. You're like, should I quit before I smoke that stuff? Next to a half-eaten banana. <laughs> but yeah, no, he used to smoke a lot. And I mean, that's eventually, if we fast forward into the future, that's what killed him. Because he was only 56, I think, when he died. He had a heart attack. Because he'd yeah. been smoking and drinking and all his entire life. So. so then, so we move on. He goes to college. Yeah, he goes he to Eton. He comes out of school and he his plan is what? Do we know? Does he want to be a journalist think, or does he I want to the, go into the military? I think he tried to get into the foreign office, the, Eng- the English government. And I think he passed the test to get in, but they didn't offer him the job. Something like that. He went off to Austria to learn to ski and to get, get ready for this job at the foreign office. But it didn't come together at the end. Um, so then he got a job at, at Reuters, the news agency. He was a journalist. Okay. And I think that was the early early 30s. He ended up, I know there was a story about him ending up in Moscow, covering a, a, something in Moscow. And he asked, he, he, he tried to get an interview with Stalin and got a, actually got a handwritten message back from Stalin, politely declining the offer of an interview or something. So he was quite, you know, a very active, active man in, in the 30s. Bolshevik revolution, communists in Russia, rise of the Nazis. He was involved in all of that, reporting on it all over Europe and the rest of the world. Very well-traveled man. And again, Bond, well-traveled man, all these adventures all over the world. It's all from the mind of Ian Fleming. Yeah. And from one of the notes I had read somewhere was that a lot of his um, enemies or villains in his story are Russian, Balkan, yeah. you know, that era or that uh, that geographical area, I'm sorry. Because um, I mean, the war. Well, the war was what he got involved with. The war in 1939. He joined naval intelligence, 
and that ended in 45 and then in 46 he, he went to work for the sunday times so yeah he's, and then of course you're into the cold war and yes. all those sort of all, all that sort of villainy so that's yeah that's the genesis of bond his wartime exploits and what was going on in the world in the late 40s early early 50s because casino royale came out when 53 i think yeah 53 i believe yeah and so then he how does he get the job when does he end up working for the rear admiral uh godfrey that's in in 39 when war breaks out he went went and joined he was uh that's john godfrey that we were talking about the last time he's he's the prototype for m but he ended up being his personal assistant rear admiral john godfrey was the head of english naval intelligence in the war and fleming became his 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 assistant basically and there was a memo what was it called um as the war began there was a memo came out from naval intelligence which apparently was written by fleming and it came up with all these plans about um you know how they they ended up calling it the trout memo because it likened using espionage and the war against germany as as, 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 as fly fishing so you're trying yeah. to lure yeah you're trying <laughs> to lure people into your plots and your plans they kept, there was a there was a thing in the war called operation mincemeat and it was a plan where they got a uh, england england got got a dead body dressed it up as a british airman attached a briefcase to it with lots of false documents and then dropped it off the French coast. And then the German authorities picked it up thinking it was a you know a crashed English airman, yeah. took it a took it ashore, and then find, found all these documents. And it was all misdirection about D-Day and stuff like that. And apparently Fleming had a hand in in oh. starting that. There was a movie about it. It's quite a famous story. Operation Mincemeat is called. I mean it's it's so, it's quite brilliant if you think about it. Yeah. I mean, sorry one. for the the dead body and the family of the dead man, but but the ingenuity behind it, and it worked. They did it. They pulled it off. Well, absolutely, because it makes sense. Yeah. There was you another one a... called Operation. I like, I like the name of this, Operation Ruthless. And it was a plan yeah. to get hold of a, a, a Luftwaffe German airplane and fly it across the English Channel, but crash it and have an English crew on board, German-speaking, but English crew on board in this crash plane. And, of course, Germany would, would set, France would send over a boat to pick, the, pick, pick up the crash plane thinking it was a German's plane. The English spies who were masquerading as the airmen would take over the boat that was sent to rescue them and then take it back to England and have all the Enigma codes and everything on it. And that oh was apparently God. from the brain of Ian Fleming. That's Pretty just brilliant. Yeah. That, uh, I mean, it kind of, I don't want to get off on uh, From Russia with Love, but since I just read the book, it kind of lends to the uh, the Spectre device yeah. that the, the whole gist of From Russia with Love is, is to get this, this uh, coding. The lecture, uh, the lecture machine is is the Enigma machine from the war, basically. It's, it's basically the, the Enigma, parallel. yeah. Yeah, you can see where the parallels. It's all his all his experiences from the war. And there it's was just... a character, um, I think I've mentioned it to you before, called Sidney Riley, who was a an English spy in the early twenties when the Bolshevik Revolution took place in Russia, and he was, he was I think he was Russian born, but he was an English spy. And he was very well known. There was a book published about him called Memoirs of a Secret Agent. And he was he disappeared in Russia. But somebody who knew him and was involved with his adventures published this book, which was a huge bestseller. And I think Fleming is quoted as saying that James Bond was just some nonsense that he dreamt up. He wasn't a Sidney Riley. You know, so he's he's pulling inspiration from all these real life figures for James Bond. Sidney, Sidney Riley, there was a TV show in England called uh, in 1983 
called Riley, Ace of Spies. They they dramatized it. And that Australian guy, the guy that was in Jurassic Park, Sam Neill, played oh yes, yes, played Sidney Riley. And it was the same time, 83 was when Octopussy came out, and Roger Moore was talking about not being Bond again, and so they were screen testing other people. Because he was so good in Riley Ace of Spies, Sam Neill got an audition for it. He didn't get it. I think he turned it. He, he wasn't interested. But the Riley Ace of Spies angle, because he was so popular at the time, they had him into audition for Bond. Apparently, that's why. That is something I never knew that. And you know, we'll probably have to do an episode later on in the show about all the people that could have been could have been could have been Bond. That's a very long list. Yeah. Or that auditioned and just didn't quite cut it. And it's yeah. funny to try to think about them now. Like, could I see Sam Neill as Bond? Yes, I, I, th- I think I, there is there is a clip of him doing his audition on on YouTube somewhere, but he just doesn't. Yeah, it, it didn't, didn't. Oh yeah, YouTube's. Work. But at the time, he was very popular because of this Riley Ace of Spies thing. And that's a well, so uh, let's jump up one thing real quick while we're talking about it is the name James Bond. You could tell the story, but I was fascinated when I found out where he got the name from because I thought, wow, what a brilliant name, you know, Bond, James Bond. It just it's so. I can't. Well, apparently, he was looking for a a really dull, boring, flat name that wouldn't really stand out. And yeah. He had a he had a house in Jamaica called Goldeneye, which is another story all in itself. And one of the books he had there, I think it's called Birds of the West Indies. It's called, and it was written, and it's an ornithologist. Or I can't pronounce it. Ornithology. Ornithologist. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, it's about right. All about watching birds and birds of the West Indies, and it's written by a guy called James Bond. And he apparently he saw saw the name when he was trying to think of a name for his character, and he thought it was the dullest, most boring name he'd ever heard. <laughs> and it was perfect. So that's the story behind the name, apparently. It, and he was a real really, guy. Yeah, it really is perfect as yeah. a name. Like nice, I can't flat, simple name. Yeah. And granted, it's it is uh, it's ingrained. It's in our what do they call it? The zeitgeist, as people yeah. say. The name James Bond, I mean, it's iconic. But he looked at it as boring. Yeah. He, he's I'm, a spy. He's having all these wonderful, exciting things happen to him. But there's no, he can't be a spy if people, if his name stands out. Nothing about a secret agent is supposed to stand out. As a, I mean, really, in real life, yeah. someone who's carrying on like James Bond in his suits and his Aston Martins, they, they, they wouldn't last very long, I'd imagine. No. They need to, James Bond is a, apparently a dull, flat, boring name, and it was perfect. Apparently, but I wonder if I wonder if the guy, the actual James Bond, ever was I he probably he met Fleming. I think they corresponded. If they didn't meet, I know they certainly wrote letters to each other. I think they God. did after Bond was published and it became a success and the story came out. I think they did get in touch with each other. You'd have to, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Imagine that. Imagine waking up and your your name is the is the inspiration for a huge uh, well, well, character, the greatest. Yeah. Literary, literary spy of all time. Yeah, of all time. Yeah. Yeah. But that's uh, where yeah, the name comes from, apparently. I thought that was super, uh, just interesting, fascinating. You know, yeah. that you think he spent all this time you know, thinking of this perfect name. It's like, no, he just looked at a book that was sitting on his desk, hmm. and the guy's name. It was a. Bird. Sometimes it's the simplest things that work the best. Eh? It's but interesting. That's what the genesis of the name. I'll, to to slightly digress, but staying on topic of the names, I love a series of books over here called um, uh, Jack Reacher's books. Oh, yeah. Lee Child is the author. Jack Reacher, he's another Brit. Uh, Lee Child is. And um, this name, Jack Reacher, which is just so, it's like, God, it's macho 
former military uh, military policeman. And I read an interview with him where he someone asked him where he came up with the name Jack Reacher, and he said he was at a grocery store. And Lee Child himself is is a tall man. He's like six five, six seven, mm. and there was a lady, a shorter lady, trying to reach something on the top shelf. She couldn't get it. So he reached up and got it for her. And she said, you know, I don't know what you do for a living, but you could be a professional reacher. Oh, okay. Nice. You, and he was, and it just hit him. He goes, that's the name. Jack now, Reacher. to me, I wouldn't have thought of that. Sounds like a stupid word. Mm. But now I can't imagine that character as any other name. Jack Reacher is one of the, he's an iconic badass in the literary world. If you ever want to read some good books. For some reason, it just yeah, works. Isn't Tom Cruise five foot six and Jack Reacher? Oh uh, yeah, no, I I could six. go off on that. That's, That's a whole other really. story, isn't it? Yeah, all right. yeah, this is this has been book talk with Andy and Mark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so anyway, names is is uh, is something that's interesting that then you think about that stuff. But um, so so let me ask. Let's go back to uh, Mr. Fleming himself. So he, he did the. Was he doing the military before he was the journalist? Right. The timeline. No, he, he was in. He was in the war broke out in thirty nine. He was working for the, uh, Reuters in the early thirties, and then the war broke out. Then he joined naval intelligence, and then when the war finished in forty six, he joined um, Kems, Kemsley newspapers as their foreign editor or foreign manager, and they were owned by the Sunday Times. And that's when he went off and did. There's a, uh, another book that isn't Bond. It's called Thrilling Cities. And it's all about his travels around the world, New York, oh, okay. Hong Kong, Honolulu, places like that. And he wrote it all down for the Sunday Times. So that's that's quite an interesting book if you wanted to read something by Fleming that isn't born. Fleming, thrilling. Well, I'm interested in that. And then have you read any of his brother's books? No, no, or, I haven't. I, haven't I mean, what, what, did he write books? Was he just a journalist who wrote about travel? I think he wrote books as well. My, my history with his brother is a bit vague, but I know he was a journalist first because when Fleming was trying to get Casino Royal published. I think it, it, I think his name it, Robert. Is it, oh, no, Peter Fleming. Peter. Helped. Peter Fleming. Yeah, got, got him some who, who outlived his brother quite significantly. That's right. Yeah. Um, so then I, my question, and you may not really know this, but I'll throw it out there if you do, great. How did he go? Like, was he in the military? How did he become the, uh, the assistant or whatever you call it, personal assistant to the rear admiral? Was he um, just I a citizen? No, I think he, he'd applied to join the Foreign Office, and because of his family background, I think there were contacts involved, you know, favors okay. might have been called in. I don't know his actual the story about how he got in there, but I know he ended up being, yeah, this personal assistant to Godfrey, and it was after that, it was all... Yeah, because I can't imagine, like today, especially over here in America, our military, if some high-ranking admiral or general needed an assistant, that he would just go, oh, just give me this journalist... He seems like a good chap. They would just, it would be a military guy. They would just bring somebody up in the ranks. I think it was family background. Somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody else. And he got in that way. I think I'm not entirely genned up on how, how all that happened, but he was suddenly very, you know, in the thick of it, very influential. Some of the things that Fleming came up with have become, you know, so legendary then, beyond now the in the notes that you sent me, I'm looking at him here. We we touched briefly on his um, involvement in some of these missions. Mm. You sent me a note that says he was involved in planning Operation Goldeneye and oversight oh. of two intelligent units, the Thirty Assault Unit and the T Force. Yeah, there was the, the Gold Goldeneye. 
was the name of a, a secret mission that was about if 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 Nazi Germany managed to over <coughs> overrun Spain, it was all about setting up a spy network in Spain to help you know report on what was going on and disrupt things and stuff like that. Goldeneye was the title for that mission or that operation. And then years later, when he decided to buy a house in Jamaica, he called it Goldeneye. Yeah, I'll say he's that's got a through line. Yeah, that's uh, where that comes from. And I know that movie's a far a little bit ways out for me, but is the movie does it? Have that, was on, that was on TV here in the UK on um, Friday night. Is I it caught the end of it? I don't know. Is it tie into uh, this mission? The Spain no, and all that? No, they just use the name. It's just a good his name. name. Nice name. Yeah, it's a good name. If I had a mansion, I would like to name it something, but I wouldn't be that clever. <laughs> no, it's a good name. But that again. All his wartime exploits run all the way through his life. Golden, Goldeneye was all about setting up a spy network in Spain if the Germans ran it. And, you know, you wonder as uh, somebody who just, you know, an average person just you know, reading these books, and we know it's based a lot on his real life, but like how much, like how much of the spy stuff was, like it seems fantastical to us. But was this really the way things worked? I wonder. I'd love to be able to talk to a real spy and ask him how, how, you know, I know you can't give us details, but is this intricacy and all this? I mean, again, just coming off of reading Dr. No, uh, his briefcase gets introduced in this book. All right. That has all these weapons hidden in it. And there's a a, a fantastic fight scene in in the cabin on a train. Um, And I, you know. I, I'm sure I'm not spoiling anything for anybody because the book's only 60 years old. But uh, the fight scene in the movie is, is is tremendous. It's one of the best. I look forward to seeing. It. I, it's I, one I of the best Bond fight scenes ever. It's great. I, I look forward. To, the great thing is, as I'm reading the book, I see Connery, and I'm just like, oh yeah, this is going to be so great. I cannot wait to watch the movie. Yeah, it's a great uh, I, I look forward to it, and um, I, I I truly enjoyed the book, and. I uh, we've talked before, and I will mention it here because you just held up another book of his that's out. Besides writing the Bond, he also wrote a a famous children's book. Yeah, Ch- Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah, Chitty the Flying Chitty Car. Bang Bang. Yeah. Um, which if you're of a certain age like I am, Chitty Chitty yes. Bang Bang was one of the big movies when when I was yeah. I it was, up. and fascinatingly enough, uh, where's my notes at here? Let me find the child like catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang still scares me now. I can see him in my head. And it, yeah, it's it was quite quite frightening when you were uh, eight nine. So here it is. Okay, I had to, I had this note that I made. So uh, as I put on my notes, um, well, let's see. Let me find where I went. So Ian Fleming, born in 1908, Lan- Ian Lancaster Fleming, wealthy family, blah blah blah. Uh, his father Henley. Uh, a parliament, parliament for Henley, a constituency of Oxfordshire, uh, wrote his first novel in, 50, in 1952 at age 44, Casino Royale. Um, I like this. He showed the book to an old girlfriend who suggested he not publish it. And if he did, he should publish under a pseudonym. Oh, really? <laughs> can you imagine that? But uh, How wrong can you be? Oh, my God. Uh, well, again, another uh, another off side rail here, a tangent uh, to – to quote a friend of mine who runs a podcast called Tangent Station, a tangent. Um, Stephen King, who the world knows is the master of horror, his first novel, Carrie, he had written it, and when he finished it, he threw it in the garbage. He didn't think oh, really? it was a good book. 
and his wife Tabitha uh, picked it up. She goes, "What? Are you, what's with this?" And he goes, "I don't know. It just I don't think it's good, you know, because it's all about a young girl and and you know it's telekinesis and stuff like that." And uh, he just said, "He goes, I don't know how to write female characters. I'm a guy. I don't know how to do this." He goes, "I just think this is you rubbish." And he threw it in the garbage, and she picked it up and she read it. She goes, "This is this is great." And if you have questions about being a girl, I'm right here. I'm a girl. Mm. Mm. I'll help you. So she pushed him to send it off. And, of course, that was his first book that he sold. And, again, not believing in himself. And this history. Mm. This young lady did not believe in a young Ian Fleming. But uh, so I, w- I have, he went on to write 12 Bond novels and two short story collections, as well as the children's book Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, written for his son Casper. That's right. And this was later adapted for the screen by another wildly famous author. Do you know who it was? Who, it was who adapted Dahl. it? Raul Dahl, Dahl, yeah. That's right. And Raul Dahl, Dahl helped write the script for You Only Live Twice. When they oh, did he? Into, yeah, yeah. But we'll oh, get nice. to that later when you, when you finally catch up, Andy. <laughs> I, got, I, got some, well, I got some watching to do. You've got some work to do, yeah. But like you said, uh, uh, people of a certain age, which you and I are, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which is the 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 television version, the movie version, is a musical with um, Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke, hmm. and you see that, and then you see James Bond, and you think this is how is this the same written by the same person? And right. I may mean, haven't read the book, so maybe the book is not as cheery and, and song songy if that's a word. I've never written. I've never read Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I've never never picked it up. I will. I will endeavor once I finish the uh, Bond novels. I will, and um, I found it interesting that you know we'll we'll delve into the books a little more. But um, I want to touch on besides my notes here. I want to touch my notes real quick before we we wrap this thing up. This this version, this first episode of this. Um, so I I read a note that says smoking. We'll we'll touch back on his smoking just for a moment because I find it fascinating. Um. Bond is a heavy smoker. Now, on the, according to, I guess historians, Bond smoked about seventy cigarettes a day. Yeah, custom made Which by Moreland. Same, uh, same as Fleming. Yeah, the Balkan Turkish tobacco having a higher nicotine content than normal is what my That's notes right. say. Uh, they have the gold bands on the filter. Uh, Bond carried the cigarettes in a wide gunmetal cigarette case, mm-hmm. which carried fifty. Which that plays uh, important. Role in um, for much with love, doesn't it save his life? It catch it a bullet saved his it? life, <laughs> which again, yeah, very smart thinking because in the book it's a subtlety mm. that he takes a cigarette case out. And I'm, I guess, what's fascinating is you read these books, and and we all would like to think we could be so cool under pressure. And I, I would, I would not be. I, I, I don't, I don't think most people would be that calm under pressure. No. Assuming that he's trained, and I know it's a book, and I know it's a story, and I understand that. But he just casually pulls a cigarette case out, the, the idiot that says, oh, sure, I have a cigarette. And Bond keeps it there, and then he hides it in a book, knowing full well that this guy's going to try to shoot me at some point in time. But um, I like the detail. So he talks about the gunmetal cigarette case. They says he also used a black oxidized Ronson lighter. Ronson lighter, yeah. Um, 
they talks about the cigarettes are the same as Fleming's who had been buying his Moreland since 1930s. The three gold bands on the filter were added during the war to mirror his naval commander's rank. So, I think um, he got 500 a week delivered or something. I mean, that's a lot of cigarettes. That's... Yeah, because you you do smoke a little from time to time, and from time to time when I'm under stress, stress. Yes, that has a. I could I can't. I could. I've I've had moments where I've been a heavy smoker, but to smoke 70 cigarettes a day—that's that's, a day. Uh, yeah, a day. I mean, I if mean, you do the math, and, and again, we live in a world now where. You know, we, we're all familiar with the dangers of smoking and all that. I, I understand that. And I'm not here to advocate anything. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I find it fascinating because if you think about anything that you enjoy, like I enjoy donuts. I couldn't eat <laughs> that many donuts in a day. I would vomit. Yeah. And I couldn't necessarily do it day after day. Um, and you do the You're math a on heroic how... smoker by 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 anyone's standard. <laughs> heroic. heroic smoker, but then it you know killed him in the end. I'm going to quote you on that, Mark. Heroic mm -hmm. smoker. Heroic. But you think about if you if you break down how how long you're awake during the day, then how many cigarettes per hour? That's a it's an effort, colossal effort. And well, I applaud you, Mr. You're Fleming. You're stubbing one out and you're lighting another one, basically. And do, and and would they have filters? I think the the ones that Fleming order didn't have filter i think they're unfiltered cigarettes he's I just think. really just like i'm fucking going for it yeah just straightforward suck it on down baby yeah i love it well mark i tell you well, let's let's wrap this episode up on the smoking so if you're a smoker don't, out, don't start andy don't start yeah don't start if you haven't but if you do uh light one up for mr bond james bond james bond so with that everybody i say goodbye and i say to you my friend keep bonding I sure will, Andrew. Take care.